Praise to the King of Kings. Amen, church? That's why we get together on Sundays. The devil's been beating you up all week. The world's beat you up all week. But we get to be with our family, listening in and sitting in this room. And man, I I don't know how people make it that don't have a church family. Do you? And uh, if you're listening today and you don't have a church family, man, join us. Join us. Praise the name of Jesus. Jesus. Revelation is the revealing, the message, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of Matt Wilmington. It's not the revelation of Jonathan Falwell. It's not the revelation of Thomas Road. It's not the revelation of the Baptists. It's not the revelation, I hate to spoil somebody's lunch here, but it's not the revelation of America. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and we're glad that it's from Him, and it's about Him. And last week, Pastor Jonathan opened up the book in chapter 1 and introduced us to this letter that's given to an old man, John, elderly John, John the Apostle. He's on the Isle of Patmos, and he gives him a revelation. He reveals something to him, and from that revelation, he's going to give a letter to seven real churches that we're going to look at fast today. And then he gives us a picture of what is coming next. Now, what's unusual about this, we know it's Revelation. Everybody's freaked out about the book of Revelation. It's the apocalypse. And we know there's smoke and fire and demons and monsters and symbols and pictures and things flying around all through the air. And yet, Jesus, before it all gets started, before the prophecy hits, it's almost like Jesus sits his church down and says, all right, brothers and sisters, eyes on me. I need you to pay attention to me before, before I give you, talk about the test, I'm going to give you a report card. And he gives a report card to the seven churches. Before the prophecy comes a performance review. And I think it's very appropriate as you see it today. And so we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. Do you believe that this is the Word of God? Yes, Thomas Rode, this is the Word of God. So, here's what we always say. If we believe that this is the Word of God, then we all solemnly swear to do whatever is written in here that the Holy Spirit tells us to do, correct? We have to obey what God is writing. And there's going to be some great models, some pictures today for us to evaluate ourselves to see if things are going well. Well, Pastor Jonathan opened it up last time, and he said that this is a book of prophecy. It is an apocalypse. It is a revealing, an unveiling of a message. Uh, You may have heard the term apocalyptic literature. Is this apocalyptic literature? And that was some, some literature that people wrote, Christians wrote, and Greeks wrote, and pagans wrote, and they were big scary stories about uh, scary things and, and battles of God and, and devil and good and evil. And a lot of times they were very dark. They were anonymous. You didn't know who the symbols were. You didn't know what the pictures were. You read that and you, want, you put it down and went, whew, glad that's over. So is Revelation apocalyptic literature? Well, it has some of those marks, but here's where it's different. Book of Revelation actually tells us it is prophecy. And if you'll take your books and you'll open them up there on page six, on page six, and I'm going to go fast through these notes. These are also on your app. Somebody after the last service said, dude, I could not write that fast. 
Don't try to write that fast, okay? Uh, you've got the notes on the app, but you can fill in, as, as Jonathan said, on the right side. But in chapter 1, verse 19, on page 6, write the things which you have seen, John, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. He tells us in chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and chapter 22, verses 18 through 19, John says, this is prophecy. There are things I'm writing about that haven't occurred yet. They're coming in the future. The book, actually, John tells us who the author is. He says, it's me, it's John. And he gives real churches. He names seven real cities. It is a struggle between good and evil, God and Satan. But the ending, unlike apocalyptic literature, the ending of this book is powerful. It's an explosion of praise and joy. Like we overcome, we conquer, he conquers, and King Jesus is sitting on the throne. And so it's a very, it ends in a very positive way. And there are a lot of symbols in this book, right? There's lots of pictures. And we're not going to solve it all this summer. But here's what the book does. Several times it actually tells us what the picture is. You'll see a symbol, he'll see a picture, and then a few verses later he'll go, now let me tell you who the seven stars are. Throughout the book, he'll tell us who the seven stars are, the morning star, the seven lamps of fire, the seven eyes, the fallen star, the great city, the stars in the sky, the beast of the sea, the great prostitute, and the rider on the white horse. So there's going to be plenty of places where John says, let me tell you what that was that we just took a look at. So how do you read the book of Revelation? And we would just want to say, good people, good teachers, good Christians disagree sometimes. Some people in here probably, as you read this, I'm going to tell you the right way, the Thomas Road way, okay? Uh, but no, honestly, good Christians disagree sometimes. I mean, there's four different ways of reading the book. Um, a friend of mine, Dr. Mark Hitchcock, a Dallas professor, he was a friend of my dad's, and I like the way he says it. He says, you can read this book in the past, in the present, timelessly, or in the future. Past, present, timeless, or in the future. Let's look at those four. He says, you can read the book in the past. It's called the preterist view, just the Latin word for past. And there are Christians who study this and say, all of this stuff that we're going to read, this turmoil, all these battles, this all happened before 70 AD, around 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem. So it's about the Roman Empire and the forces against God's people, and it's finishing up here by the time John's writing, and he's looking back saying, all that stuff, all this stuff, man, that, that happened already. So the preterist view sees it in the past. Number two, the historicist. The historicist view sees the book in the present, actually seven presents. Now, historicist reads the book and says, you know what? There are seven churches we're going to read about in chapter two and three, and those seven churches are actually the seasons of church history from, from the beginning with the apostles' age, the, apost uh, the apostolic church in the book of Eph with the Ephesian church, and that was about 100 years, and then the next church, you know, the Smyrna, that's a few hundred years. So the churches are symbols of the church seasons all the way up to today, and today we are in the Laodicean church age. Well, there are some good similarities there, and there's some helpful things. I personally don't hold to that view. There's a couple of reasons. One, the book just doesn't tell us that that's what's happening. 
Like John doesn't say, now pay attention because each one of these are different chapters in church history. The second thing is, as you read these letters, all the different pieces, the characteristics don't line up to these 500 years of church history or these 300 years of church history. And the last thing is a little suspicious, but every author that I've read, they always give these church seasons and all the events are happening in guess which part of the world? The Western church. These are all happening in Europe or America or it's all about the Renaissance or the Reformation or you know, the Roman Empire or the Pope or the Catholic Church. Like it's all around Europe in the Western Hemisphere. It's like they don't talk about what about the church in China or throughout Asia or Southeast Asia and India? What about South America? What about Africa? And so if we're in the Laodicean church season today and there are some things that are pretty rough in our, our time, and we'd say there's a spirit of Laodicea. But boy, there's, brothers and sisters, there's revivals going on all over the world today. There are some great things happening throughout the world. And so um, my preference is that, that, that we don't kind of uh, brush in those broad strokes. The third one is the idealist. The idealist sees this as a timeless book, and the pictures are just that. They're sort of like, it's like a really good morality play. It's a real tale of morality. It's good versus evil. It's God versus Satan. And the events, they're not real. They're just pictures. They're symbols. It's kind of like George Lucas writing Star Wars. You know, I've listened to him talk about it. He said that's exactly what he did. You know, the force and it's, I took all the religions and kind of put the stuff together. Well, the idealists would say there are great spiritual lessons for us to learn throughout the whole book, but don't try to tie like actual events to it. And then there is the last view, and the last view is the futurist view, which very simply says that this book is happening in the future. The events in the seven churches are really happening in 100 AD, but then as we hit chapter six, we're going to see that six through the end, these are future, actually future events. So, let's get started here on page six. Then who are, let's tackle a couple of the, the simple ones. Who are the seven stars and the seven lampstands in chapter one, verse 12 and verse 20? Well, the lampstands, he tells us. Jesus is walking, John sees him, and he's walking amongst lampstands. And he's told those are the seven churches. But your, your, light, your church is like a light uh, on a hill. And uh, those are the seven churches. The stars, he tells us, are the angels, the seven angels of the churches. The Greek word is angelos, it means messenger. Some Bible teachers disagree on that. Some Bible teachers would say, well, messenger is actually a couple times in the New Testament used as Jonathan Falwell. He is the messenger, the pastor, or the teacher of the church. And so maybe John is saying this is going to the seven pastors of the churches. More Bible teachers probably would hold to that it's actually an angelic being. And so Thomas wrote, we may actually have an angel assigned to our church. Maybe the one that's in charge of the battle that's going on even right now between angels and demons in here listening. And if you know you're under demonic attack, it's because you're checking your bank account right now on your phone or you're looking at Facebook, okay? So come back up here. But maybe we have an angel for uh, the church of Thomas Road. So those are the seven stars and the seven lampstands. How, why does this book start this way? We'll talk a little bit more about it. But remember, before he gets into the prophecy, he's going to hit a performance review. Before the test, 
The teacher's actually going to give us the grades. He's going to give a grade book. And he's writing these seven letters to the churches. And there are, we'll borrow this from the idealist, there are spiritual lessons for us to listen to. So as we're reading these, and we're going to get in the helicopter and fly fast. Can you go fast with us here? We're going to tour all seven churches real quick, and you need to go back and read these two chapters, maybe this afternoon or later tonight, to really get it in your heart before we move forward. So, the seven churches, they're in Asia Minor. So, John is writing, he's out, old man, he's out on the Isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea there. This is, uh, there's Greece over there, it's modern day Turkey, so western part of the province there, Asia Minor, and he's out there on Patmos, you see the little dot down there, and he sees the vision there, he writes the letter, and then the letter is going to go to these seven churches. It's going to come across the water, and the seven churches are going to be Ephesus, moving up then to Smyrna, up to Pergamos or Pergamum down to Thyatira, down to Sardis, to Philadelphia, to Laodicea. Laodicea is just a few miles from Colossae. You'll notice that it's kind of like an inverted and upside down V. And this is like a postal route and the letters are just going to follow that whole way all the way to Laodicea. Uh, Lou Wider and Tim Yance and some of our uh, Bible teachers, they were uh, just over there with some students. And so he's there and he sends this letter. So, let's get in the helicopter, let's fly fast, okay? So first of all, Ephesus. And for each of these letters that John gives, uh, I've got a simple little template I'm gonna share with you, and I am my father's son, so they will all start with the letter P. And uh, for each city, for each church, he's going to give a picture, a picture of Jesus. He's gonna give a praise, he's gonna give a problem, a prescription, a prediction, and a prize. So Ephesus on page eight, Ephesus um, chapter two, verses one through seven, sometimes known as the loveless church. And Ephesus was a large city, probably very familiar to you if you've read the Bible. The temple of Artemis was there. Paul had ministered there for two to three years. And this is how Jesus starts. Jesus says, here's the picture of myself that I want to give to you as a church. I'm the one who holds the seven stars in my right hand that walks amidst the seven golden lampstands. I am Jesus who controls the churches. They, they're not, they don't belong to a denomination or an association or a convention or a tribe or a pastor or pastors or elders or deacons or a family in the church or a little old lady in the church. The churches belong to me. The praise for Ephesus is that they have patient labor. You can find this there on page eight as you scan down there. Patient labor, they're working hard. And he said they've been guarding against false teachers, even guarding against false apostles that have come through. The problem is this, they had left their first love. Now if you've read this at all, you've heard this phrase, the Ephesians had left their first love. Love. It's like, a, it's like a married couple. Maybe you're in this church and you've been married for a long time and you've hit a rough patch and uh, you just, you don't love each other like you did at the beginning. Well, this church was going through that. And just like we would say to a marriage, we want to say you need to, as the old book title said, you need to strike that original match. Like if Jesus were walking through the building today and if he asked, looked at you and asked this question, do you love me has there any been a, time, been a time in your life where you've loved me more than you love me right now? Has there been a time where you were more passionate and more on fire and zealous for me than you are right now? 
And if not, why not? If when, when was it and why? And why aren't you today? That's not a guilt thing, but that's the Holy Spirit taking the letter and saying, have you left your first love? Well, the prescription is this, remember and repent. He says, remember, go back and remember how you fell in love with Jesus and repent. You're gonna see the word repent all through these two chapters. And so guess what, church? You may need to repent. I may need to repent. We have to listen. He says, go back and do the first works, the things that you first started doing when you first started walking with Jesus and you were passionate about him. The prediction is this. He says, I will come quickly. If you don't do these things, I'm gonna come quickly and I will remove your lampstand. Jesus says, I'll come, I'll come in. I shut the place down and put a padlock on the door. There's probably some churches in America that need to be shut down, don't they? And, and, and take the resources and do something that's more life-giving and start maybe a new church. The prize is this. It says, Ephesians, if you will persevere and if you will repent and overcome, I'm going to let you eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. It's a, it's a pointing back to the Garden of Eden paradise, but it's also pointing forward in Revelation to where one day, tree of life, is, we're gonna see it. It's gonna be there in the city and God is going to feed us life. Smyrna, also on page eight. Smyrna is sometimes called the persecuted church. Chapter two, verse eight through 11. Smyrna was a large city. It was a harbor city, very beautiful, a lot of commerce, a lot of wealth, sometimes called the crown of Asia. His picture is this. He says, I am the first and the last. I was dead and came to life. Smyrna from the word, uh, close to the word myrrh, and myrrh, that sweet smelling ointment that sometimes put it on dead bodies. And Jesus is saying, this, you smell good, uh, Smyrna, because you're thinking about me. I was dead, but now I've come to life. The praise is, Smyrna, you are working through poverty and persecution. They, the city was wealthy, but they were a poor church. He says in parentheses though, but you are rich spiritually. And they were having some persecution. There was a place called Satan's synagogue that was after them. Some Jews there were wicked and they were persecuting uh, the people at Smyrna. He doesn't give them a problem. He doesn't, he doesn't give them uh, something that they're doing wrong. He does give them a prescription. He says, do not fear, be faithful. And the prediction for them is this. The devil was going to imprison some of them. And he said, he's going to test some of you for 10 days. Not exactly sure. Probably just means they were literally going to have a 10-day uh, season of intense persecution. But the prize is this, Smyrna. If you, if you keep going and if you hold fast to things, you will get the crown of life and you will not be hurt by the second death. So Thomas wrote, as we're looking at these first two, is there anything here that looks like you? Is there any message from Jesus from these pages to you? Well, go to the next page, page 10, Pergamum or Pergamus. Chapter two, verse 12 through 17, sometimes known as the compromising church. This was a large city. It was the capital of Asia Minor. They were known for Caesar worship. By this time in the Roman Empire, Caesar was more than a political leader. He was more than uh, a government official. He was saying, you need to bow down to me. And so some of the cities were worshiping Caesar. The picture that he gives here, Jesus, he says, I am the one who has the sharp two-edged sword coming out of my mouth. Uh, the, the, the sharp two-edged sword, this is the word of God, the truth. It showed authority. I can speak the truth and you need to listen to me. 
His praise was this, you are working faithfully where Satan dwells. Man, the devil's throne is there in Pergamos. Uh, You guys are doing a good job even though you are surrounded by all this. The problem was some people in the church of Pergamos were holding to teachings that mixed idolatry and immorality together. And he makes a nod, he mentions two groups. One, the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were a cult. Some people think that it actually came from Nicholas, one of the seven deacons back in Acts chapter six that went off the rails a few years after his ministry. And he was teaching this kind of stuff. Kind of a free love, swap spouses, you know, worship God, but have a lot of sex. And it's just weird stuff. That also is pointing back to Balaam. He says, some of you are kind of holding to Balaam's teaching. And Balaam, remember, had been asked, he was a Jewish prophet, he was asked by the king, Balak, the pagan king, to curse the Jews. And he couldn't do it. And he couldn't do it. And so finally he says, look, king, here's what you do. You just get the Jews, the Israelis, to compromise. Get them to intermarry with your pagan people. And if you get them involved in immorality, they will worship your idols. Isn't that devilish? But by the way, isn't that 2023 America and around the world? I think it's fascinating. And this, he'll mention this, this a couple of churches here in Thyatira as well. Idolatry and immorality. It's kind of like this. If the devil can get your sex, he's got your worship. If he can get your sexuality, he can get you addicted to worshiping something, yourself or other people or lust or whatever it might be. The prescription is repent. We're going to see this again and again. Don't do it. Stop it. Repent. The prediction is this. I will come quickly to fight the enemies in the church with the sword of my mouth. I'm going to lower the boom. I'm bringing the truth. And it's going to bring judgment. The prize is, though, that Pergamos, if you will continue to follow me, I, one day, I will give you the hidden manna to eat. Remember, manna was that nourishment that God gave his people when they were wandering through the wilderness. And then Moses took some of that manna. And where did he do? He hid it in the temple, or the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, Uh, in the Ark of the Covenant. And God said, I'm going to feed you with that nourishment one day. And I'll put your name one day on a white stone, a new name. You'll all get that. Maybe a reference to the Romans who, if you won a competition, uh, they would write your name on a clear or a white stone. And that was your prize. And you could go to parties and celebrations and show the people your name. And one day, church, he's going to give us a new name. Thyatira. Same page, page 10, chapter 2, verse 18 through 29, sometimes known as the corrupt church. This is the smallest city out of the seven, but it's the longest letter. I don't know what's up with that, but God had a lot to say to them. Uh, The city was known for their guilds, working with brass and bronze and and, uh, dyeing wool and purple. And matter of fact, remember Lydia. In the book of Acts, remember Paul leads Lydia to the Lord, and Lydia was a dyer of purple, a purple cloth seller, and she was from Thyatira. The picture here, Jesus says, I am the Son of God. The only time we see the phrase, I am the Son of God, I have eyes of flaming fire, and my feet are fine brass. The praise is this, Thyatira, your growing works Your growing works are impressing me. You have love, works of love, works of service, works of faith, and works of patience. But here's the problem. There is a false prophetess teaching, 
guess what? Idolatry and immorality. Her name is Jezebel. That was probably not really her name, but they named, he named her Jezebel because that points what? To the Old Testament, wicked Queen Jezebel who really got the people uh, worshiping Baal and just horrible things. You don't want to name somebody Jezebel, right? Well, she's a Jezebel. That's not a, a compliment. He calls her a Jezebel. And the prescription is this. He says, once again, church, repent. Repent. Stop doing it. And he says, hold fast what you have until I come. You better go back to your, your Bible studies and hold on to what you got, because if you don't, I'm going to come. The prediction is this. And he gets pretty graphic. He says, I'm going to judge you. He says, Jezebel, I'm going to make her sick. And all of her children, who are her children? Well, the children are the people in the church who are following her teachings. They're going to her Bible study. They're going to her life group. They're listening to her podcast. They're buying her books. He says, I'm going to make those children sick too, and I'm going to come and I'm going to judge, but I will reward each one in the church according to their works. The prize is this. He says, but if Thyatira, if you get it right, if you overcome, I will give you power eventually over nations. You'll rule over nations. This is a nod to the millennial kingdom. One day we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. And he says, I'll give you the morning star. That's the best thing. The morning star is actually Jesus himself. And after each one of these, notice there's going to be a little phrase after each paragraph. He that has ears do what? Listen or hear. Hear what the Spirit is saying, church. Are any of these us? Are these characteristics for us? Next page, Sardis. Sardis chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. On page 12, Sardis, sometimes called the dead church. This was a city that was very wealthy. Uh, they were kind of built on the side of a mountain, kind of like a fortress, and they felt pretty confident because nobody can reach us up here. Except a couple times the city had fallen asleep on, on the watch, and they were invaded. There had also been an earthquake that it has destroyed some of these cities. The picture that Jesus gives to them is, I am the one who has the seven spirits of God, maybe a reference to the Holy Spirit, and I have the seven stars. The praise is, Sardis, I know your works and your name. You do have good works, and you've got a good name. And some of you are actually walking worthy with me. But here's the problem. Overall, as a church, you're dead. Your works are not perfect before God. And so what's the prescription? The prescription is be watchful. That's a little pun there because why? The city had fallen asleep and had been conquered. He says, church, you need to spiritually be watchful, wake up. He says, strengthen the things that remain. That was a nod to the fact there had been an earthquake and a lot of things had fallen down. And so he's saying spiritually, strengthen things that remain. Remember, hold fast to the truth. And there it is again, repent. Repent, turn around, stop doing it. The prediction is if you don't, I will come as a thief, Jesus says. I will come suddenly and bring judgment. But the prize, he says the prize, Sardis, if you get it right, I will clothe you in white garments. and Your name will be in the book of life and I will take your name as a people and I will confess your name. I'll bring your name in front of my father and his angels. He that has ears, let him and her here. And then Philadelphia, page 14. Philadelphia, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. This is the faithful church. Philadelphia, the faithful church. Coming up uh, down the route there, 
Uh, it had also been hit by this earthquake. The earthquake was 17 AD, and uh, it had been wiped, uh, kind of destroyed, and they had to rebuild. Jesus gives them the picture of himself. He says, I am holy and true. I have the key of David, like a king. He says, I can open the door and close the door. I have the spiritual authority to do whatever I want. The praise for Philadelphia is this. I've been looking at your works, church, and you're doing well. You have stayed faithful to my name and to my word. Man, don't you hope, hope Jesus says that about us? You've been faithful to my name and to my word. The problem, they take a deep breath and they wait for it. He doesn't give them a problem. Nothing. They're not perfect, but he doesn't call them out for a problem. He does give them a prescription, something he wants them to do. He says, look, hold fast what you have. Keep holding on. Keep on keeping on. Hold on to what you have. The prediction is nothing. There's no judgment coming if they continue as they are. The prize is this. He says, Philadelphia, I will keep you from the hour of trial that's coming to this world. And he says, I'll make you a pillar in God's temple. They have found pillars that are still standing there and after the earthquake. And he says, you'll be a pillar in God's house, and I'll take the name of God, his city, and my name, and I will write those names on you as a pillar. And they used to write the names of the famous people of the city on the pillar. He that has ears, let him and her hear. Laodicea, last of all, chapter 3, verse 14 through 22, page 16, also known as the lukewarm church. If you didn't know anything else about Revelation, you, you may have heard about Laodicea and they're lukewarm. The city of Laodicea was near Colossae, just a few miles away. A lot of Jews there. There were hot springs in the city. There was some cold, refreshing water, but it was up the hills a few miles away. In fact, the water for them had to be brought down five miles through pipes. The pipes are still there today. And by the time it got down from the cool, refreshing water uh, springs, it was lukewarm and a little sludgy. And so they knew this about their drinking water. Uh, it was known for banking. They had a lot of money. It was a banking center. They had been destroyed as well by the earthquake, but it's interesting, and, and I admire this, but you'll see it went to their heads. The city was destroyed. The government, can you imagine this happening in America? The government came in and said, we will help you rebuild. Laodicea said, mm, no thanks. We are self-sufficient. We will rebuild ourselves. Thank you very much. Now, that may be admirable in a, uh, a social setting kind of, uh, but for them, it had become a point of pride. We don't need anybody. We rebuilt ourselves. The picture to them, Jesus says, I am the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning, the first order of God's creation. And to this church, zero praise. Nothing good to say about them. The problem, he calls them lukewarm. You knew that. But look what else he says there on page 16 about them. He says, you are lukewarm, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Whoo! Go home after a Sunday morning service like that. Some Bible teachers, when they read words like this, wonder if Laodicea was, if they were really Christians at all. They may not even be Christians and God's calling them to repentance. If they were, this is a bad church to be a part of. The prescription is tied to their pride. Jesus says, you need to buy gold, not from your banking centers, you need to buy gold that's refined in my spiritual fire. 
He says, you need to put on my white garments. The Laodiceans wore black garments. It was a dye that was in there in the area. He says, you need to put those black garments away. You need to spiritually white garments for me. He says, anoint your eyes with eye salve. They also created some medicine there that was used on eyes. And he said, spiritually, you need some, something to wipe your spiritual eyes out. Get that from me. He says, repent, but for you guys, extra, be zealous and repent. Like Laodiceans, y'all are really bad. You really need to get some energy. You need to amp it up. You need to rev it up here. And you really, really need to repent. The prediction is this. It's fascinating because even as godless as they were acting, he says, I rebuke and I chasten whom I love. Isn't it just like our God? Here's a godless church. And he says, but I have love. Like there's a chance and I do love you, and that's why I'm saying these things. And here's the most famous phrase you probably have heard about uh, the Ephesians, you know, they left their first love, and lukewarm Laodiceans, but you've heard this phrase, and you may not have known it was here. You might have used it in evangelism. You may have been talking to somebody personally about Jesus and say, you know, Jesus is standing at the what? He's standing at the door of your heart, and he is knocking, and if you will let him in, if you open the door and let him in, he'll come in and he'll save you. Well, that's a good picture. That's not the picture here, okay? Similar, but to Laodicea, he looks at them and says, I am standing at the door. So get the, get the cold picture here. Jesus is standing outside that door. The building is locked up, and we're in here having a party. We're having church. And Jesus can't get into his church, and he's knocking on the door. It's a judgmental statement, but it's also a grace-filled statement. He says, but here's the deal, here's the deal. I know you guys are in there, I can hear you. If you'll open up the door, I will come in, and I'll sit down, and I'll eat with you, and we can have a meal. Isn't that a great God that we serve? He says, I can help you, and I can restore you. And, and here's what's fascinating, the prize is this. He says, Laodicea, if you turn it around and come back to me, you can sit with me on my throne. That's like the prodigal father to the prodigal son, isn't it? Boy, come on home. I, I, we're going to have a party. He says, Laodicea, you can sit with me on my throne if you get it right. In the same way that my dad, my father, let me sit on his throne. Seven churches. Real churches, real issues. Jesus wanted to talk to them. And he wants to talk to us because these are pictures Maybe not of the seven church ages, but definitely of things that are still going on in our lives, in our church. So here's, here's your homework, Thomas Road, because you are the church. I am the church. The homework is this. Read chapter 2 and chapter 3 and look back through those sins and those, those prescriptions and those predictions. And so, yes, what kind of letter would Jesus write to Thomas Road? Our staff thinks about that. We talk about it. We pray about how's our church doing? The church is not just all of us, the church is you. What letter would Jesus write to your life group, to your department? What letter would Jesus write to your family? And what letter would Jesus write to you? What kind of grade card would he give you? You know, I think it's fascinating that, as we said, why Jesus starts with, actually it's going to be five chapters, Five chapters before he ever gets to the, the doom and the gloom and the smoke and the monsters and the demons and all that stuff. Why does he take so long? And I, I don't know for sure, but I think it's this. I do think it's, 
him saying, as I said at the beginning, I think he's trying to get his children to look at him and say, yes, there is capital T tribulation coming. And I'll I'll give you a hint. We don't believe that the church is going through the capital T tribulation. But Jesus said, we all do have Monday morning, small t tribulation. You're in the world and you will have tribulation. I think what he's saying to these seven churches and to us is this. Some of you love chapter 6 through 19. Man, there's demons and smoke and fire and oh, it's so horrible and America's going down. Oh, it's horrible. And it is. But I think he's saying, look at me, church. I didn't make you to live in tribulation. I made you to live through tribulation. I'm going to get you through if you just get a picture of me. I had a friend named uh, Paul many years ago. And Paul was kind of a, a proper button-down church guy, good Baptist guy, loved God, and loved his word, very, but very proper and never had any kind of dramatic experiences. But he got really sick, and he was in the hospital and um, didn't know what was going to happen. His heart was having a lot of problems. And he had a lot of panic, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And it just was eating him alive, and he just didn't know what he was going to do, what's going to happen. And he, he had an experience one night. And he told a friend of mine, he said, you know, I was in my room. It was all dark. Nobody was there. I was awake. He said, all of a sudden, my room filled up with bright light, colorful light. It was beautiful light. I was shocked. And then he said, and then somebody was in the room with me. It wasn't a nurse. One one of my kids visited. There There was a presence in the room. I felt it was God's presence. He never said, I saw Jesus or I saw an angel. He just said, I knew God's presence was in the room. And he said it was in there. He says, and and having had that, I had immediate peace. It was almost like God was saying, Paul, it's going to be okay because I got a picture of God. And it relaxed him. And he had peace from then on out. And there was just shortly after that, a few days after that, he actually did pass away and he went to heaven. But I've always heard that story, and I've held on to that story because we have the Word of God. But don't you enjoy sometimes those little glimpses of God, those pictures? Because in that hospital room, I think God gave my grandfather, Paul Wilmington, just a little taste of heaven. Paul, you can make it through even dying. I'm going to be with you. My presence is here. Have you ever felt that in your life? Just a little presence of Jesus saying, you're going to make it. Watch me. Keep walking. We're going to get through it. That's who our Jesus is. And so church, as you read this book, as you read this, keep your eyes on Jesus tomorrow morning. As you're reading this, going through whatever you're going through, keep your eyes on Jesus. I want us all to stand. And we're going to stand and we're going to finish by reading on the back screen a picture of Jesus from chapter 1. And if you've been paying attention, when you see this, Jesus gives this picture of himself in chapter 1, but then the phrases from this reading is what he gives to each of the seven churches. And brother and sister, I don't know what you're going through, but whatever you're going through, if you get a picture of Jesus, he will carry you through. Our uh, team's coming, they're going to be down here right after service. Listen to me, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you need Him. You need Him. You need to repent and accept Jesus and His gospel, and they will pray with you about that. Maybe you're going through some dark valleys right now, as Pastor Jonathan mentioned at the beginning of the service, and 
You just need to know, Lord, am I going to make it through? Pray with your brothers and sisters. But for the rest of us, we're going to read this and then we're going to sing our way out and we're going to praise the Lord. I want you to read this with me. This is how the book opens with a picture of Jesus. Church, let's read it together. John said, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with the garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Church, this is your God. Amen. Let's look to him for help and let's praise him all week long. Let's sing it together. you as you go. Pastors are here down at the front. If you need counseling, you need to speak to somebody, why don't you come down front and speak to one of our pastors, all right? Have a wonderful week. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. 
Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love. Thank you.